Welcome to Get After It PDX, a down-to-earth podcast featuring honest conversations with inspiring people in the creative hotbed of Portland, Oregon. Recorded live and on location in Portland, let's welcome the co-founder of Y-East Wolfpack and the host of Get After It PDX, Willie McBride. Hey folks, a quick note before we get started. The Get After It PDX podcast is brought to you by the support of our friends at the Aimsure Distilling Company, a new distillery focused on bringing people together through great flavors and a warm environment. They love the way spirits taste, but more importantly, they love what they do. Spirits bring people together to make memories, build bridges, and crystallize the moment opening up in early 2020 in Northeast Portland. Today we are very excited to have our first guest of all time on the Get After PDX podcast, Teresa Silveira, who is a local mountaineer and ultra runner and a music teacher at the Hoffman Academy, as well as an ambassador for PNW Outdoor Women and the local YE Sisterhood. Thank you for being here. We're so happy to have you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, is that correct? Uh, yeah. Um, just an hour and a half north of Portland. If you've ever heard of Chehalis, Washington. Chehalis, yes I have. Right off the five. <laughs> <laughs> so because this is a show about Portland and cool things going on here, um, tell us how you came to Portland. How did you get here? Um, actually, it's one of those uh, cliche about a guy <laughs> stories. <laughs> um, I met my current boyfriend um, when we were doing music school down in California. So I grew up in Washington, but all my dad's family is down in California, so we moved there when I was in high school. I spent eight years there and met my boyfriend when we were undergrads in music school. And he moved back up here like partway through our relationship and after I graduated I decided I wanted to come back up here because he's from Portland. Oh cool. Whereabouts in California? Um, Close to Anaheim. My school was like maybe 15 minutes away from Disneyland. Ah. Yeah, (laughs) so that area. Cool, cool. So he was from Portland that's what brought you guys back Mm -hmm. up here. Yeah, I mean I had always um, planned on getting back up here so it was nice that he was from here. It made it a little easier to like know I was coming up and wouldn't be by myself, too. Nice. So what year was that when you came back? Uh, I graduated in 2012, so summer of 2012, I moved back up here. Cool. So it's been a little chunk now. Yeah. You sort of came right in the thick of, of some pretty serious changes in the city, would yeah. you say? Yeah, definitely. Um, so you clearly do a lot of outdoor activities you were a mountaineer pretty mm-hmm. prolifically. Um, I've seen through your social media, you've already been up Mount Hood a number of times this season, which is pretty pretty freaking impressive. <laughs> You're an ultra runner as well, uh, which means you've covered long distances on foot. Mm-hmm. So has that been a lifelong thing? Was that has more recent in your life? What's um, that? That's definitely been more recent. Um, I hated running as a kid, <laughs> especially, you know, like the typical PE class where you have to like pass your mile tests like that was that wasn't fun for me (laughs) um but 
When I moved back up here, um, I really wanted to get into um, just exploring where I grew up. Uh, as a kid, um, when I lived in Washington, my family wasn't very outdoorsy. Like, it was just kind of like we en enjoyed the scenery around us, but we never, like, went... We didn't really do any camping as much. We didn't hike or anything. And so that was something I really missed when I moved to, like, overpopulated metropolitan areas in California where it was really hard to get out to, like, the mountains or anything, even though there's, like, beautiful mountains there. Um, so when I moved back up, it was one of my main goals to, like, start getting outside more and just hiking. Um, so... I started hiking when I was in grad school up here, um, and then that kind of turned into like trail running and forest park because we realized we had like, like 5,000 plus acres of ground that we could cover just in the city. And so um, we just started like trying out running, I guess. I don't even remember why we really got into it. I think it was originally just for fitness, and then we realized it was really fun running on trails versus, like, concrete. Um, and, yeah, it just kind of kept building from there, I guess. <laughs> so most of those early explorations were with your boyfriend? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, we both kind of got into it together. Um, I like taking credit for the fact that I did sign us up for our first half marathon together without asking him because <laughs> I wanted us to like really get into it. And so nice. I just told him, or I think it was a, it was a 15K, not a half marathon, but nice. we hadn't been running that much. And I was like, we're going to do this and we're going to like get into running and we're going to get better at it. So we have a goal now. We have to do a nine mile race. <laughs> That's awesome. How'd it go? Um, I thought it went pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it was a road race, so we started out road racing first before okay. getting into trail running. Nice. Yeah. So one thing that, that comes to mind is that you obviously love the outdoors. You spend a ton of time there. Um, but you live in Portland, and Portland is a city. It's a small mm -hmm. city by a lot of standards, mm -hmm. but it's still a city, and it's a rapidly expanding one. There's definitely feeling the growing pains. There's a lot of traffic, and yeah. there's you know some of the... The big city ailments are creeping in. So, you know, given that you do so much outdoor stuff, why do you live in the city? Why don't you? Have you thought about living further out towards the mountains? Or um, I actually have thought about that a lot. Like, well, whenever we go out to Mount Hood, um, Mac and I will always see like, you know, all these little tucked away neighborhoods <laughs> off of the highway, and you're like, gosh, it would be so nice to like be out here. I've also thought about moving. I really love the North Cascades in Washington, um, and I have always thought about wanting to be out there. Um, but actually, one of the main reasons I like being here is that, uh, one, I have never found another place that I love that has, like, again, like a 5,000-acre forested park, like, right in city limits that at least makes me feel that I'm not in the city. Hmm. And I feel fortunate that we live we live, even in the city, like really close to the like access points for that place. Um, and even all of the places like I'd rather be still don't have that kind of that close access to mm -hmm. trails that I love. Yeah. Um, also, um, I really, really like the place that I work, um, especially as a music teacher. <clears throat> it's not always easy having like a stable job, mm -hmm. um, just... Uh, when I was in college, I had a lot of like 
very unstable teaching opportunities that like I couldn't always depend on for money mm -hmm. um, and just like a way to make a living and the place that I work out now um, really strives to keep their teachers and give them like a livable income awesome. so that would be hard to leave for me too. <laughs> So tell me a little more about the work you do. You work with kids? Yeah. Um, I teach piano lessons at the Hoffman Academy in Portland. Um, and I work, I, I generally do private lessons. Um, and I teach kids from ages like five to, I think my oldest student is 16. Oh. So yeah, teach a range of kiddos. <laughs> and all piano. All piano, yeah. I used to teach um, a preschool class there too, but... It just got a little hectic for my schedule to do the lessons and then also the preschool class. But it was really fun to do when I had the time to, to do it. Nice. So it sounds like music has been a part of your life for a while now. You went to yeah. school for it. Yep, yeah. went to school for it. I have a undergraduate and a graduate degree for it. <laughs> wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, uh, what was the spark... Or when did the initial spark to get into music happen? Was it as a child? Was it? Um, yeah, I was kind of, uh, I don't want to say forced, but it was kind of like that. Like my mom really wanted me to learn piano because she had always wanted to learn as a kid. And so we both got into a get together. Like we both took lessons together. And then my mom kind of, you know, got too busy and backed off, but I stayed in the lessons. So I started that when I was six or seven. Um, and then... I don't know. Like my my piano teacher was always one of the most influence, influential people, persons in my life, um, and it was like someone I always looked up to, and just had I felt like had the most positive influence on like any of the things I liked to do. So I wanted to pursue that. Cool. And sort of pass that on. Be, yeah. be that role for, yeah. for the next generation, so to speak. Cool. So, do you feel? A connection between nature and music. I um, I wish I did. I, <laughs> if I'm being honest, I know there's like uh, we a want lot of ways to, to connect them, but I think because I music is also kind of like what I'm doing with my life in terms of like my job. Mm -hmm. um, nature is also is kind of a nice separation from it for me. And so, like, if I'm out in nature, I like to enjoy the sounds of nature. And, I mean, maybe that could be construed as, like, music in its own way, but I actually do like to, um, in my mind, have those separated. I think it would be a little different if music and piano wasn't what I was doing as my day job every day, but because it is, it's kind of nice to have that be two different things for me, at least right now. Yeah. One day, I like the idea of connecting them somehow i know i've i've heard of um some professional pianists in the area that will like host concerts um that you know uh feature maybe local um pnw composers that compose influenced by nature around them and i've um, always thought that was really cool yeah. um but yeah that might be a ways down the road <laughs> cool cool yeah i just think about that because a lot when I spend time in nature those sounds often to me yeah. it's funny obviously it's not my job so they do sometimes sound sound musical yeah because there's such a 
the universe of sounds out there. Yeah. Is, you know? And I definitely connect some of the, <clears throat> like, uh, instrumental music I hear to, like, like, if I were to, like, put images to them, they're usually associated with nature. Okay. Yeah. So I guess in that way, they're kind of associated. <laughs> I think sometimes in this outdoor recreation space, we don't talk about the fact that it's often sort of skewed towards privilege and often dominated by white males. And so there's sometimes a sorely lacking representation of other other groups, people of color, women of color. So you are a woman of color, mm -hmm. and you are largely in this outdoor rec space, very prolific, doing all these things. So what is your experience as an established outdoor athlete, and what were your sort of entry barriers did you feel or experience getting into it? Were there, did you feel those challenges? Um, I didn't feel them too much, um, and I feel part of that is because I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to make a living and afford the things that I wanted to get, like gear-wise, to get into the outdoors safely. Um, so like financial barriers, I didn't feel like I had that big of a hurdle to go over. I mean, you know, it took some saving up, but um, I'm, yeah, I'm very fortunate to, to have a job that I can support myself doing that. Um, but as I like, st I didn't notice this as much, or I, I guess I didn't really pay attention to it when it was just me getting outside, but um, I have noticed it more on occasion when I'm in groups that are getting outside, especially with some of the hikes that I'll <clears throat> lead for uh, PNWOW. And this isn't always the case, but I've noticed, like I'll look back on pictures of um, like that I've taken of our hikes and sometimes I'll realize, oh wow, I'm the only like woman of color that attended this hike today. Um, and I guess in a group of women, it didn't feel like I didn't feel isolated about that, but it's, it was just something that I observed, I guess, but not something that affected me too much. Um, I think I've noticed, uh, a couple things more being a woman by myself sometimes, mainly if I'm not so much on the trails, but on the mountain when I've gone up uh, Y East a few times by myself. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Just this uh, last week when I was up, I actually got a comment. Um, I was up at Devil's Kitchen and about to go up the hogs back, and there were two two guys up there that were taking off their skis and getting ready to like trudge up to the hogs back. And one of them said uh, when he saw me, he was like, "Oh, a woman on hood. That's such a rarity." And it, I don't know, I was like super taken aback by it and it was, uh, <laughs> Strange. I like didn't have a good response at the time either because I was like really tired and like was slurring my words because it was so cold, like I couldn't like really move my mouth. Yeah. But like, it just like stuck with me the rest of the day, like, I don't know, I don't feel like I have experiences like that a lot and so it's always really surreal to yeah. have those, even though I know I've heard so many experiences from other women that I've had. Yeah. Had that, so. And in general, and obviously it doesn't have to be one or the other, but mm -hmm. an experience like that, would would that sort of be fuel for the fire, so to speak, of like, I want to be that woman out there, maybe? Oh, even, yeah. Or I, um, it doesn't, it doesn't <clears throat> want to make you hold back. Right? Oh, no. I, in fact, 
as I was like driving back later, I felt like I finally like after I'd like woken up a little bit had like a really good response to that guy and it was well I guess you're not up here enough because I'm up here all the time but I like at that the time it, did, it didn't click with me and I was so sad that I didn't get a chance to say it to him <laughs> but yeah um I feel fortunate that I haven't had too many experiences like that both like being a woman and also being somebody that's not white or not male and or doesn't fit the like um picture perfect stereotype of what a ultra running mountain climbing athlete looks like so so you are involved with some groups like pacific you said pn wow mm -hmm. we can explain that for people who don't know pacific northwest <laughs> uh, outdoor women mm -hmm. right yeah so you're an ambassador for them yes i am so I think that's one of the ways in which you're sort of giving back, being a representative yeah, for giving definitely. women and, and others out there. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about that group and what you do? Yeah, um, it's a group on Facebook. It was actually founded by um, three friends from Washington. So a lot of the members of the group are kind of centered in like the Seattle area, um, but all the members are from all over. Just a huge chunk of them are in that area. Um, it's got, oh man, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I know it's over 30,000 members in the group. Wow. Yeah, and so there's, I wanna say maybe 20 or so odd, odd ambassadors um, that help organize events for the group to try and get these 30,000 women together, or just, you know, provide an opportunity on the Facebook page to like discuss um, outdoor issues and just be in a safe space for women to communicate with each other about the outdoors and inspire each other. Cool. Um, so I host um, events in the Portland area along with um, one other ambassador in the area as well. Okay. So what sort of events are you guys putting on? Um, most of the ones I've done so far are just hikes and usually they're like try to do hikes with a theme so like this weekend I'm doing like a holiday themed hike with like a gift exchange in the middle of it um, <laughs> yeah and then I've done some other ones for like Earth Day where we'll go out on a hike and like pick up trash if we like this last one we did actually we didn't find any trash so that was nice oh, but um, heartening just, yeah that was nice to see um, and then I, I'm also trying to do more uh, Leave No Trace classes for the group, especially for, um, you know, women that are just getting outside and maybe aren't familiar with some of the outdoor ethics um, that we have as standards as people getting outside a lot. Social media, I have noticed recently that at the bottom of whatever post you, you're doing, you have been listing the ancestral lands and the tribes that are associated with them. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've seen that on a few other accounts. <laughs> I follow Natives Outdoors, mm -hmm. so I've seen it from them, obviously. And yeah, I've been noticing it, thinking it's really neat, and so I wanted to ask you about that and, and hear why you're doing it and what that means to you. Well, um, I just want to be... I'm trying to be more transparent with the fact that I know that the lands that I'm like have the privilege to be 
um, playing on and doing all of the things that I love to do on were not um, lands that I initially inhabited and not lands that were, how do I put this? Um, like public lands in general were not initially like for the people that they're for now, I guess. Not saying that right. But um, just as like government entities, they, they didn't belong to us, is like, I guess a better way to put it. Like there were people that lived on these lands and still, I think that's an important thing to say too, is they still live on these lands that were pushed off um, to create public lands. And um, I just think that's important to acknowledge, especially with all of the issues that um, indigenous people have to live with right now um, and just the, the lack of privilege that they have compared to many of the other groups that live here and that have the opportunity to get out and explore on these lands. Um, so I feel like, at least in this realm of social media, that's the least I can do to show that acknowledgement. Um, but there's obviously much more that I can do and everybody else can, can do to support those communities. Nice. So social media obviously is a tool with, with good and bad potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you navigate that in your own life? Um, I feel like part of the, at least in my personal life, I feel like the part of the con for me for social media is um, comparing myself to other people, especially since we live in a place where there's tons of people getting after it, especially outside. And I always feel like, like oh, I'm, man, I, I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing the things that I could be. or um, And so that's something that I've been trying to work around and making sure that I'm reminding myself that I'm doing this stuff because I love to do it, not because I want to be better than somebody else or because I, um, yeah, not because I'm trying to be better than somebody else, but just trying to better myself. Um, so yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's the, one of the main downfalls for me when it comes to social media is that area of comparison. Yeah. That doesn't need to be there. So do you, just, you try to work through that with self-talk, or like do you actually have to limit the amount of time you, you flip through your um, I think a lot Instagram of it feed? is just self-talk, and just also um, by supporting those people that are getting after it and being like, yeah, that's awesome, and not like attaching this kind of like, oh, I wish I could be doing that type of attitude to it, but just... Um, being supportive of the people that are doing it. Yeah. I mean, the relativity is so mind-blowing of, you know, you this year already have been up hood three times, is it? Um, Two or three times? For, the, for this winter, I guess fall so far, I've been up once. But um, this year, like since January, I've been up five or six times. Nice. <laughs> Wow. So exactly. You've been up five or six times this year. And a lot of people, if they ever climbed to it, it would be a once in a lifetime <laughs> thing. 
and you've been up, you know, more times than you can count on one hand this year. <laughs> and yet you could look at Instagram and still feel yeah. that you're not enough or yeah. you have have to do more to measure up. So yeah, it's just sort of it's a it's a wild <laughs> world in that way. We gotta keep it real and yeah. And make sure we're recognizing our own accomplishments, I think. Exactly. Because it's pretty amazing all the things you have done. <laughs> to me it sounds like you have have largely found a path that is is your own and very very fitting and fulfilling to you working with kids and teaching music this mm-hmm. passion of yours and going outside all the time and having these amazing experiences so what what advice would you give <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell someone who's trying to trying to find that way um i would just say um be be patient with yourself i <clears throat> when I initially started getting outside, I um, just wanted to do everything at once. <laughs> like uh, when I first started hiking, like I already had my my eyes set on like all of the volcanic peaks in the area. Like, okay, one, I want to do those, and just kind of um, felt like I was maybe trying to rush into everything, and then getting really disappointed when like it wasn't happening right away or I wasn't getting the skills I needed or I wasn't physically fit enough to do this and this and this yet um so yeah that my advice would be to like be patient with yourself and fit in things one at a time when you can during the week um you know I work a even as an after school music teacher I still work about 40 hours a week like a full-time job and I just you know find pockets of time during the day where I can go for a run or go for a hike or now um, if the weather's good like go up hood before work for a few hours and come back and just making time for it. Do the kids know that you uh, you I, climb hood the morning before you teach them? I don't usually <laughs> I don't know why I don't I don't usually share that with them I I that's something else I could work on is being more vulnerable with my own kids and sharing my own passions outside of music with them I'm sure that would probably be a good thing for them to know well, why do you think you hold that back from them um I'm not sure it's a good question too humble too yeah. humble probably part of it I feel like yeah I, I don't I don't usually like talking about myself Today's a good start. Today's a good start. Thank you. I haven't been very eloquent speaking about myself because it's just not something I'm good at. But yeah, I think you're doing. I know sometimes sharing those things is um, not as selfish as it seems. It's definitely more just to pump somebody else up. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah, that's something I've come to to realize. It's easy to feel like it's, it's bragging, but yeah. People get a lot of inspiration from it sometimes. Last question is, uh, you know, we're about to head into a new year, 2019. What is this next year hold for you? Any big, big plans, big adventures? Um, I haven't been making too many plans yet. I, in general, I want to do more climbing, um, more uh, alpine climbing. I definitely want to. Um, one of my big goals is to kind of, again, being patient with myself. I've been wanting to get into it for a long time, but getting into alpine, not alpine climbing, but trad climbing, so we can do more like uh, rock-oriented 
peaks because um, that's something that I don't really have any experience in. So I'm trying to work into that realm. Uh, I definitely want to get back into skiing. It's been a long time since I've skied and I slowly want to get into backcountry skiing and, you know, being able to ski down a mountain instead of walk down. <laughs> um, but actually our first big thing coming up is in January. Um, Mac and I have a goal of running all of the Forest Park nasty routes in a day, Oof. including the the skyline variation. So the four main ones, the north, south, south alphabet and flaming, and then doing the skyline variation just because everybody runs it and we felt like it would be weird to leave it out, even though it's the same as north. <laughs> How many miles is that? Um, it's about 65 and I think it's like just under 14,000 feet of vert. So yeah, it'll be an all-day thing, and oh, it's wow. just for fun. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of walking. There'll probably be some crying. <laughs> that too. is amazing. Um, but we have, uh, we've already, like, asked a few people in the ultra running community to come out and, like, run it with us or do some of it with us. I think no, nobody yet has said that they want to do all of it with us. <laughs> but... Um, just having like a little support group out there to come hang out with us for the day and run what they feel like running. <laughs> we really like Forest Park and so it seemed like a, a fitting way to like challenge ourselves in a place that we like that's not just the Wildwood Trail. It's been a, been a pleasure. We're very grateful for you having you here in this community inspiring people. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a great day. You too. We're going to leave you with some music from today's guest. Please enjoy.
This wraps up another edition of the Get After It PDX podcast. For more information about today's guest, including social media links, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to get out there and get after it.